leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Today, we have Jason Dion, who will be sharing his experience both transitioning out of the military as well as using helpful tools like the NIST Cybersecurity Framework transition into a career as he's an instructor as well. Jason, do you want to give the audience a bit of background about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me here, Chris. Uh, my name is Jason Dion. I am the founder and lead instructor at Dion Training. Uh, Dion Training is a company that focuses on helping people pass their IT and cybersecurity certification. So we cover everything from A plus through CAS plus. We cover things like uh, IT service management and project management, data analytics, and other things like that. A uh, pretty wide variety of stuff that we teach. And uh, as you said, I came from a military and government contracting background. Uh, I worked in and around the Navy for about 20 years. Uh, and then I moved off and uh, started my training company and been helping people break into cybersecurity ever since. As you were transitioning out of the military, what were some of the rough spots that you hit that you wanted to start your own training company? Um, so I wouldn't say that necessarily that I had rough spots that caused me to start my own training company because I actually started my company before getting out of the military and before getting out of the government sector. I had started that about five years before I was ready to transition out as a way so I wouldn't have to go get a regular job and go work you know, nine to five as a contractor or a government civilian. Doing whatever else, but I can come from the other side, which is what are the common mistakes I've seen other people who are transitioning out make, and how can you overcome? Because uh, I think that'll probably be more useful to your audience than my own personal journey. You know, over the last two years, we've had several people who have gone through the DoD Skill Bridge program. So, if anyone listening to this is still an active duty person, uh, you could take advantage of that. Uh, for those who don't know what Skill Bridge is. It's the last six months of your service in the Navy, Army, Air Force, or Marines. You can go and work for a civilian company. And essentially, the military will keep paying you your pay and benefits, your housing and all that stuff, but you can go work for another company. Um, and in our case, we've had, I think, five or six people so far who have come to us through the Skillbridge program. And they work with us for anywhere from three to six months. We help them get their certifications and we help them go transition into a role. And the biggest challenge that most people have when they're trying to find a job coming out of the military is finding a job that matches their skill set. So for some of us, it's really, really easy, right? If you've been working in the Navy as an IT or a CTN, or I think they call it now a CWT, cryptographic warfare technician, which is basically government defense, government hackers, you know, or their equivalent in the Air Force, Air Force Marines and, and Army, you're going to have a really easy time getting a job, right? You already have a clearance. You already do cybersecurity. It's a highly in-demand field. They're just going to take you, throw you into a government contracting job, and you'll be ready to walk out on Friday out of your uniform, walk in on Monday in a suit and tie, right? That's not a problem. But where I saw, see that a lot of people have trouble is when they're coming from an area in the military that isn't something that is directly transferable to the civilian sector. For example, I have a buddy who was an army guy, and he spent eight years being a, you know, a ground pound. He's got his pack and his gun, and he's out there in Afghanistan, Iraq going and doing God's work and doing what the military tells him he's supposed to be doing. Well, when he comes home, 
what skill set does he have that's transferable in that type of you know, kicking down doors type of job? And not a lot. And so my friend actually got a job as a recruiter as one of his shore duties. And so when he got out of the army, he went and became a corporate recruiter and started trying to hire people into working at an insurance company or working as a cybersecurity analyst or whatever. And, and so that was the transferable skill he found. But I think that's the biggest thing that people struggle with is figuring out what did I do in the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, uh, the Marines, the Coast Guard that is useful in the outside world that has a direct translation. And coming from the Navy, we have some folks who were driving ships for 20 years. Well, unless they're going to go out and get out and start driving merchant mariner ships around or cruise ships around, they're probably not going to be driving ships for a living when they get out of the Navy. And so they have to figure out what else am I going to do? And a lot of those guys go into you know, management, they go into leadership, they go into executive or accounting functions because they've been running multi-million dollar budgets and multi, you know, hundreds of people in their departments, and they know how to do that. But they're not going to necessarily drive ships. They're going to do this other stuff now that they come out. So I think that's important as you think about what skills do I have that can be transferable? And then what jobs do I want? And then how do I fill in the gap between those? Because if you've got some of the skills, but not all the skills, well, there's probably a couple of things you can do. Uh, if you're trying to break into cyber, for instance, if you have zero certifications, you're probably not going to get hired. And it's not that certifications are great. Uh, it's just that's what HR uses as a filtering mechanism. So if your resume doesn't have Security Plus on it and you're applying for a job that requires the 8570 requirements, you got to have Security Plus. And if you don't, they're just simply going to throw you to the side and pick up the next person who does. And, and so it's important to identify what are the requirements of the job you want and what stuff do you already have filled and then fill in the gaps between. And outside of the government DOD world really takes notification and those as requirements. What helpful tools can people use to find, this is the job that I want, this is where I'm at, how do they fill the gap? Yeah, so the two things I always tell my students that are really great to do here is, first, is there's a website here in the United States called cyberseek.org, C-Y-B-E-R-S-E-K.org. And this is a site made by industry partners, including CompTIA and a handful of others, including like people like Intel and stuff. And they've gone out throughout the IT industry and said, okay, what are the things that people need for these particular jobs? And when you go there, you can actually filter it by city, state, uh, or the entire country. You can filter it by the job name based on the NICE framework. So there's 10 different job roles. Uh, and then you can also search based on certification. So you can say, well, I am Security Plus. What kind of jobs are people asking for a Security Plus for? And if you click on that, it'll say, okay, if you're a cybersecurity analyst or an IT administrator or a cloud administrator or blank and blank, you should have a security plus, right? So that's one way of looking at it. Now, the problem with that is that it's backward looking. It always looks at data from six to 12 months ago, and then it correlates that across all the job boards and all the partners who give them information about salary data, certifications, requirements, and things like that. So the second thing, and this is if you're looking today, what would I do? Um, this is what I would do is I would go on Monster, Dice, LinkedIn, any of your favorite job boards in your particular area, because job markets are local and it's not one size fits all. Uh, and you need to start looking at the job you want and then start saying, okay, well, if I looked at it with Microsoft, they said I needed this and this requirement. If I looked at it with Google, they said I only needed one and three. And if I looked at Facebook, they only said I need number two. And you start creating a checklist of, okay, most employers are asking for this certification or most employers are asking for a four-year degree or most employers are asking for a security clearance or whatever those things. And it's not that you need to make a list of everything everybody's asking for, but you start looking for the common themes. And so if the common theme is everyone's asking for Security Plus and nobody's asking for SCP, which is equivalent to Security Plus, then guess which one you should probably get? You should probably get your Security Plus, right? Uh, I see the same thing with Pentest Plus versus CEH. Right? Pentest Plus is a harder certification. It's a better certification. It's the one I actually teach. 
But I will tell you that HR folks are slow to change and CEH had a 20 year head start. And so CEH is still listed on every single job that I see out there. Now, does that mean you have to get CEH? No, there's some tricks you can play. You can get your Pentest Plus and then write Pentest Plus parenthesis equivalent to CEH on your resume and you'll still pass that uh, resume filter scan with the automatic, uh, the applicant tracking system. But what you're looking for is patterns, right? What are, you know, on 50% of the jobs, is there something that everybody's asking for? Do they all ask for a four-year degree? Then guess what? You're probably going to need a four-year degree. If nobody's asking for a four-year degree, don't waste $100,000 getting a four-year degree to get a job that nobody wants that four-year degree for, right? And so I think that's a good way to start figuring out what do employers want because they're going to tell you in their job posts. Find those things out, and then you can start filling out what do you have and what are you missing. And the other thing here is that, you know, as you know, Chris, it's not a list of 100% of the things you need. You really need to get to 50 to 60%. If you're covering 50 to 60% of what they're asking for, apply for that job because nobody has it all. Um, it's just too impossible to find the guy or the gal who has every certification they ask for, every degree, 20 years of experience and blah, 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 blah. And then they're asking to pay $50,000 a year. No one's going to take that job if they have that much experience for that level, right? And so they're going to have to come down and they'll figure out whether they're going to either come up on price or they're going to come down on requirements to meet their budget and their requirements. That that makes sense. And that is some of the struggles that I've seen. And I, I work with a, another nonprofit, Whole Cyber Human Initiative, and we use a similar approach in finding open source training opportunities and marrying the two together. And we're definitely not opposed to certifications, but I like your approach of finding the right certification for the right role, because not all certifications are needed and not all certifications are helped. Yeah. And the other thing is I hear this a lot from people that go, I have been in the industry for 20 years. I never needed a certification. Well, that's great. But 20 years ago is a different hiring market than it is today. And it's not even that the certification is valuable or that it's going to get you the job. It's not. The certification is going to be one of the check marks that the system is using to determine, does your resume get in front of a hiring manager? Um, I don't know if you've talked about this on your podcast before. We, we met through the whole uh, cyber uh, human initiative. And I have a podcast called Your Cyber Path, and we talk a lot about the hiring process because it's hosted by me and, a, and my co-host, and we're both former hiring managers. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, you put out these resumes and you think some human is looking at it and they are the ones who decide not to give me an interview. That's really not the case most of the time. 99% uh, of the applications you put in will never get seen by a human. What happens is you put in your application through Monster, Dice, Indeed, the company's website, whatever it is. And that's great. It's so easy to apply for jobs now. But the problem is it's so easy to apply for jobs now. And as a hiring manager, I'm getting flooded with resumes, right? So I have to do something to be able to sort through these. I'll, I'll give you a quick, you know, back in 2010, I was hiring for a um, higher level cybersecurity position inside the government. And for this position, we required you had to have CISP. Uh, you had to have you know, a certain couple of things that we asked for. And this was a pretty good job. It was making about $150,000 a year. And we ended up having about a thousand applicants. And so HR said, what's your filtering criteria? I said, I have to have somebody who has a CISP because this is an 8570 DOD job and it requires them to have this certification. And I know that the pass rate on this is 15 to 20%. And I've had people before who we hired. If you go into a government job, you have six months to get the certification. If you don't, we have to fire you. And so I said, I don't want to have to move this person halfway around the world to fill this job. And then they can't get the certification and I have to fire them and send them home. That's just too expensive. So I'm only going to consider people who actually have their CISP. And so as the resumes came in, we had a, over a thousand people apply. And this was back in 2010 before everything was done electronically. And out of those, HR went and sorted through and they said, okay, here's the 83 people who have CISP, Jason. Now you as the hiring manager can go look through those. So now I've got 83 resumes to look through. 
So I'm starting to go through those resumes. And Chris, if you've been a hiring manager, how long do you spend on each resume normally your first pass through? It used to be 30 seconds max, but these days the attention span is probably about five to 10 seconds. Yeah. Studies have shown that you're going to get, your resume is going to get eyeballs on it for anywhere between six and 60 seconds. And I will tell you for me, I'm generally between six and 30 seconds. And so my first pass, what am I looking for? I'm looking for bullet points that catch my attention. I'm looking for, are you a decent enough fit for me to put you in my consideration pile? Or I just want to reject you. Right now, my goal is to reject as many people as possible to get down from 83 to maybe five or 10 that I can actually spend time looking at their resumes. So as I'm going through these 83, the first thing I'm looking for is CISP. And I'm noticing a trend. It wasn't CSSP certified. It was, I'm planning to take a CISP bootcamp. I took a bootcamp two years ago. I'm planning to take my exam next week, whatever. It's all these things, but did that meet my requirement? No. So what my first filtering criteria was, do you have CISP or not? If you do, you were in my yes pile. If you didn't, you were in my no pile. After I went through those 83, how many people do you think actually had CISP? Because all 83 of those had the word CISP because that's what HR used to filter. But as long as the word CISP showed up, it came into my pile. How many were actually certified? Only 15. Three. So guess who got Three. the interview? <laughs> those three people. And I chose one out of those three, right? And that made my job as a hiring major easier. I thought I was going to spend hours and hours going through thousands of resumes, but I didn't. I just looked at who was certified and that became, okay, now out of you, I will choose one of you three. Now, let me say that, uh, does that mean I got the best candidate? Probably not. There might've been a great candidate in that pile that I rejected, but I'll never know because I don't have the time to look at it. Because here's the real dirty secret that most people don't realize. Most hiring managers aren't doing just hiring. We've got real jobs too. When I was that hiring manager, I was running a security operations center with 150 people working for me, and I was running networks across five countries, and I had 15,000 end users. I was a busy guy. That time of hiring somebody, that was time out of my day that I just didn't have, and so I couldn't dedicate 1,000 hours to go through and spend an hour on every resume to find out who's the perfect candidate. So I have to find some kind of fast track, which is certifications are that fast track. It allows us to say, okay, these are the people who are qualified. They're the ones who are going to get considered. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to get the job. No, but it at least got them into the pile for consideration and a real human looked at them. Um, and this goes into the playing the games. I know some people put in, well, I need to take my CISSP because that way it got the CISP code word on there. That worked 10 years ago, back in 2010, when I was doing this stuff. It doesn't work today because we have things called AI and machine learning, and they're smart enough to know certified versus not certified. And, and so do you need to have certifications? Yes. Do you need all the certifications? No. Which certifications do you need? It depends. What job do you want? And based on that job, you're going to make sure you have those because if they say CISSP required or Security Plus required and you don't have it, you're automatically going to get rejected by the system. And somebody like me or Chris is never going to see your resume and will never have a chance to hire you. So, so keep that in mind as you're applying for jobs and you're thinking about going in. And, and I know certifications can be annoying, right? They're expensive. They're time consuming. It takes you know, a couple of weeks to study and go take this exam. And, and you may not be a good test taker, but at the end of the day, this is your invitation to an interview. And if you don't have it, then you have to get creative and find other ways to get your resume in front of the hiring manager because if you're trying to go in through the front door, ATS is going to throw you out if you don't have those certifications or you don't have that degree or you don't have the things that they're asking for. Again, not 100% match, but you got to have at least 50% of the requirements or they're not gonna, you're not going to find your way into that pile. So you said get creative and my hacker mind just went off. What do you... I was hoping you were going to ask me that. <laughs> get creative. Yeah, get creative. Use your network. Use social engineering to your advantage. Right? We use the hacker's mindset, right? Just like you said. And I have a hacker's mindset. I'm always looking at a system and going, okay, how can I get around whatever that requirement is, right? And so if the problem, we just identified the problem, right? The problem is ATS, the applicant tracking system. It's an AI-based computer system, and it does not care who you are. It just cares what's written on that piece of paper. 
right? Now, how do you get around that? You have to get to the humans and that's where social engineering comes in. So what are some things I would recommend? You can get really creepy with this and I don't recommend that because remember, I, I want to be able to hire you and like you and not feel like, oh my God, this person's a stalker, right? So, so take this with a grain of salt, but you got to kind of figure out what will work and not be considered over the line. Uh, for example, if I was going to go get a job at Facebook today, right? And I know I wanted to go work in their trust and safety team. How can I find out who's on the trust and safety team? LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, right? You can go out there and do some social engineering, do some open source reconnaissance. And I could probably go out there and find that there is Joe Schmo works on the Facebook uh, trust and safety team, and maybe he's the director of it, or maybe he's one of the managers of it, or maybe he's just one of the employees in it. I don't really care. But if I can find somebody like that and start talking to them, and now I say, hey, Joe, or, or hey, Chris, you know, you and I start having a rapport. Now, when it comes time for you to have a job opening, you might say, oh, hey, I know this guy, Jason. I think he'd be a good fit. Yeah, he doesn't have Security Plus, but dude, this guy's been in the industry for 10 years. He knows what he's doing. You should hire him anyway. And he can put your resume in front of that hiring manager and circumvent that hiring process, right? Um, this happens a lot. Now, if you're working with a really big company like a Facebook, a Google, a Microsoft, Deloitte, a Booz Allen Hamilton, General Dynamics, any of the big companies, right? Um, you're still going to have to put your application in through the ATS, right? Or they won't be able to find it. But by finding that person, which I like to call your internal champion, uh, you can find somebody and go, hey, Chris, I know you work at Facebook in the trust and safety team. I just put an application in. Can you tell your boss to take a look at it? I think I'd be a really great fit, blah, blah, blah. And if we have a good relationship, you're going to do that. And I will tell you, uh, as a hiring manager, that doesn't actually annoy me. You'd think that it would be like, oh my God, they're trying to circumvent the system. I actually like that because again, you're making my job easy. If Chris knows you and I trust Chris and Chris trusts you, I'm going to now say, well, if Chris trusts you, I'll give you a shot. Now, I'm not going to necessarily just go, yep, you're hired, no problem. But he will make it into my consideration pile and he'll probably get an interview at the very least. So if I'm interviewing five people, I'll interview six and I'll interview Chris's friend too, right? So that's one of the ways to get creative. And another thing when it comes to getting creative is a lot of times people are blocked out because of experience, right? You don't have enough hours of experience or, or years of experience on your resume. A lot of these jobs, they'll put, we want five years of experience. We want 10 years of experience or something like that. And I've seen some really egregious examples of this where they're asking for experience that you simply cannot have. Sorry, it's about to uh, cough. I had to take a quick sip there. But yeah, so I've seen some of these that are just really egregious, right? Uh, there was one where the person who developed the Go programming language looked at a job application and the job requirement said you must have, it was either 10 or 15 years of experience with the Go programming language. And he wrote to the company, and go, I guess you guys don't want to hire me because I only have seven years of experience. After all, I was the person who wrote Go. Good luck finding somebody with 10 to 15 years of experience. It didn't exist 10 to 15 years ago, but it's stupid things like that. And the reason this happens is because HR gets the requirement from somebody like Chris, who's a hiring manager, and Chris says, I want five years of experience. They go, nah, we want, they don't even know what that thing is. They just said, 10 sounds better than five. Based on this pay band, we want somebody with 10 years, not five years of experience. Now, that's why I said, if you have five years of experience, apply anyway. You might get looked at because nobody else is going to have 10 years of experience because it didn't exist 10 years ago. So, so keep that in mind as well. And then when it comes to that experience thing, the faster you can get your clock moving on your experience level, the better it is for you. Because there's a lot of things we can do to speed up the hiring process and speed up your education process. But I can't make that clock go faster. A day is a day, a week is a week, a year is a year, right? I can't give you five years of experience in one year. It's just not going to happen. Can I get you five certifications in a year? Heck yeah, I can do that all day long. Usually it takes about one to two weeks to get a certification. I've got this really good program. We can get you through. That's not a problem, but I can't get you more experience. And so what I always tell people is, look, go ahead and get a job in the IT world or in the cyber world or something that touches it. If you're working as a waiter to put yourself through school, don't do that. Go work on the phones at a help desk. It may suck. You may hate that job. But at least you're being able to say, look, I was working in IT for that year while I was in school. 
And that's one extra year of experience that you have that other people don't. Um, the other mistake I see people do is they'll go and get a bunch of degrees and certifications and they have zero experience. And at that point, nobody wants you. You're a paper tiger. You don't know how to do things in the real world. When I'm hiring somebody, I want somebody who can solve my problems and make me money. That's what I'm doing as a business owner. Uh, and if you are somebody who just has a bunch of paper behind your name because you've spent the last seven years in college, you're not showing me that you know what you're doing. And I've seen this a lot where people apply for a job and they'll go, hey, you've got this senior level cybersecurity analyst job. I've got a master's in IT and cybersecurity. And you're like, that's awesome. But you literally went from high school to college. You're now 23 years old. You've got a master's degree. You've got about $200,000 in student loan debts. And you've got zero experience. You've done nothing in the real world, right? That's not nearly as valuable to me as somebody who has a bachelor's degree or a handful of certifications and five years of experience. I'd rather have that person. They know what they're doing. And, and so these are the things that, that, that hiring managers are thinking about. And especially when it comes to like people going in their master's in cybersecurity, do not do that until you have five years of experience in the field because you're just going to put yourself in a position where nobody even wants to give you a chance anymore because you're too over-certified or too overqualified, And that really does come down to it, right? Because if I'm hiring somebody with zero experience, where am I going to hire them? Probably as an entry-level cybersecurity analyst on my watch floor. And that is a rotating shift work, eight hours a day. You're working eight hours, so five days this week. Then you switch to like overnights next week. Then you switch to late nights next week. And it just keeps switching to your schedule. It's a miserable place to work. I get it. And people who just came up a seven-year degree and they have a master's degree, they're going to be like, look, I got a master's degree. You got to pay me $100,000 a year. And I don't want to work shift work. That's where the entry-level jobs are. I'm sorry, man. Uh, and those entry-level jobs pay fifty dollars to $75,000 a year. If you've got $200,000 in student loans to pay, that $50,000 ain't going to go very far. And, and so that's why I always tell people, like, slow down on the education side because the education degrees are not nearly as important as the experience or the certifications in the world of cybersecurity, at least from what I've seen working uh, both as a hiring manager myself and with hundreds of other hiring managers across the field. So for those uh, transitioning out of the military or maybe coming from a different industry where the terminology isn't the same. What are your recommendations for them to really create that Rosetta Stone of their experience to what you're putting on their resume? Because you could be doing the same thing yeah. in the military or somewhere else, but if you don't name it the same way, your mindless ATI system is going to overlook you. Or even your oh, human yes. person is going to overlook you because they don't know what that terminology means. So what are some of your, your tips there? Yeah, I think you use the exact right word. You said, what is your Rosetta Stone? And for those who don't know what that means, basically, what is your translation key, right? We want to translate what we're saying. I can put down a lot of military jargon and terms, and nobody outside the military is going to know what that is. Uh, this goes back to knowing what job you're applying for and customizing your resume based on the job and the place that you're going to. So for example, if you're trying to get a job with Microsoft or Facebook or Google or a Silicon Valley startup, and you start talking about the things you did in the military using military terms, they're just going to glaze over and not know what you're talking about. So you got to translate into something they know. So I might say something like, yeah, when I was using the AIS system on the ship, that's the automatic identification system. It works like flight tracking, but for ships, it actually uses a satellite system and it goes over this frequency and does this. And here's the capabilities. And here's how that's relevant to what you do, Mr. Facebook or Mr. Google or Mr. Microsoft or whatever. Um, alternatively, if you're working and you're trying to get a job for a government contract with Booz Allen Hamilton or General Dynamics, a lot of that's done for you because they speak your language. They already know it and they know what those things are. So you could say AIS or VMS or whatever, and they're going to know what those things are but a regular civilian company made. And, and so you have to do that translation for them. What I usually recommend is something like that is I will include the name of the thing 
and I will include a brief sentence of what it does. So if I was talking about AIS, for example, um, I would talk about the fact that this is the automatic identification system. It is a data visualization of all of the ships in a local area and takes its inputs over the internet and over satellite. And so that now tells you all the different things like I know how to do, which is satellite networks, communication, data visualization, et cetera. But if I just said, I'm an expert in AIS, you'd be like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything to you. So doing that translation is important. The other thing that's really important is what's known as transferable skills and identifying those transferable skills. I've seen so many people come into the cybersecurity field that don't come from an IT background and they're successful at it and they do a great job at it. And a lot of people think you got to be five years of IT before you can go cybersecurity. Not necessarily. Yes, that is the traditional path is go work on the help desk, go work as field services, go work in network engineering, go work as a system admin. And now on your fourth or fifth job, you're going to move into cybersecurity because you've done the hardware, the software, the server, the, the networking, the Linux and all that. But I've seen people come into cybersecurity from bookkeeping and accounting, and they do fantastic at it because so much of cybersecurity is detail-oriented auditing and compliance stuff. And so knowing what your background is and finding the thing that works is really, really helpful. I will tell you that I've hired several intelligence analysts or intelligence officers who are not coming from a cyber background and put them in cyber roles. And they've done fantastic because they know how to do open source research. They know how to take a bunch of information and consolidate it down into a one simple sentence or paragraph to be able to present to the boss of what that threat is. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be that you are an, a, a ones and zero IT networking person to make it in cybersecurity. You can come from other places. It's just important to realize what those transferable skills are, identifying those, and then calling those out in language that the hiring manager speaks and understands. And, and the other thing I'll tell you is that the number one mistake I see people make is they make one resume and they send it to everybody. That is the res recipe for disaster because when I'm reading your resume, I want to know that you, A, spent some time on me and B, actually know who I am and that you want to work for me. So I should be seeing something, for instance, the first paragraph of your resume should be your goal or your summary statement. I'm looking for a job in the blank area at blank size company doing blank type, right? And so if you tell me you're looking for a large size company based out of Silicon Valley at a rapidly growing tech startup and I get your resume, I'm going to say, you don't want to be with me because I am in Florida. I am a small company and I am a star. And so you're looking for a big company with big money and West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. I'm a small company. And so I probably can't afford to pay you what they can afford to pay. Right? But you may have a lot more fun because we have a flexible work schedule. We have PTO, uh, unlimited PTO and unlimited vacation and all these other things that big company may not have. And so these are all the things you have to figure out is what size company do I want to work at? What area of the world do I want to work at? What type of job? W-2 versus contractor. Like all that stuff goes into it. And then you should be writing your resumes based on the specific job application you have. And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but these days it's really not because we have things like ChatGPT. If you're not using AI to help you with your writing, you should <laughs> because it's great and it does it like that, right? It's very, very quick. Um, now, don't just take what ChatGPT gives you and send it off to the hiring manager, but use that as your first draft and then you can go from there. And it makes it very quick and easy for you to be able to add or remove things from your resume for that particular job posting because you could actually copy in the job posting and say, ChatGPT, here's the job posting. Here's my resume. Now rewrite my resume for that job posting and it'll do it. And it does a really good job of that. That's a creative trick that I haven't used yet. <laughs> well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show, share your tips and tricks, and I'll leave you at one last question for those future cybersecurity professionals that aren't here yet. What advice would you give? Yeah. So as you're trying to break in the field, uh, the biggest thing I would tell you is get your experience clock running as quickly as possible. If no one will hire you, then find a way to get that clock moving anyway. And what I mean by that is if nobody will hire you, you can't gain experience, right? Oh, wrong. There's lots of things you can do to gain experience. For instance, 
you can work with a nonprofit. You can work with your local church because most churches, if you're in a church that's 500 to 1,000 people, they have IT systems, but they don't have a dedicated IT person. Guess what? If you're one of the parishioners and you go, hey, pastor, I'm an IT person. I'd love to do this for you for free. Guess what? They'll hire you on as a free volunteer. And now that clock is moving because you're working there one day a week on Sunday, fixing their network and making sure it works, right? Um, those kind of things can help get that clock moving. And that is probably the number one thing that people wait on that will bite you in the butt later because you can't go back and add time. Uh, what does it take to have a 30-year marriage? It takes 30 years of being with the person. I can't marry somebody today and say tomorrow that I have a 30-year marriage. It doesn't work. It just takes time. Um, three ladies can't make a baby in three. It can't make three babies in three months. It takes nine months to make. Uh, it's the same kind of thing here. Time, it time can be your friend or your enemy. And so the faster you can think about that, the better. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got in my career was about 20 years ago. My mentor said, hey, Jason, when you're planning out your career, I don't want you to be thinking about the next job. I want you to be thinking about the job after that. And the reason she said this is because in the military, there are certain things you need to do to be able to make 06 or 07, which is captain and admiral, right? A flag officer, general officer. And if you don't do those things as an 03 or an 04, you can't do them as an 05 or an 06 because the way our jobs are set up, it's based on the pay grade. And so once you're a higher pay grade, you can't go back to a lower job. And so if you didn't do it at your five-year or 10-year point, you may never make flag officer because you missed your opportunity and you're now off path. It's the same thing inside of cybersecurity. If you know my goal is to be a CTO or a CIO or a CSO, there's a lot of things you need to do over the next 10 or 15 years to get to that position. Figure out what those are and start working them one by one. But if you think the people who became a CTO or a CSO or a CISO or whatever did it just by accident, they just show up one day and goes, oh, you know what, by the way, Chris, you're promoted, you're now the CTO. It doesn't really work that way. You had to be aiming for that and working your whole career to get there because there's certain things you need to do to be a good CTO. Similarly, if you want to be the CEO, you could start in IT, but at some point you better do an operations career. You better do a accounting career um, and you better have places across the organization. Otherwise, you'll never make CEO because you won't have the broad range to be able to run a larger company. So these are the kind of things you need to be thinking about in your own career. It's not a day by day thing. It's more of a long term vision. And then break that five year, 10 year plan into, OK, if I want to be here in five years, that means I need to have these two jobs. I'm here in the help desk today. If I want to be a pen tester in five years. I probably need to become a system administrator as my second job, and then I need to become a cybersecurity analyst as my third job, and then I can move into pen testing because now I've got the experience to be able to do it well. But if you just want to come in tomorrow and be like, let me jump in as a pen tester, very few companies are going to hire you right off the street as a pen tester for your first job. It's just, I don't care how talented you are, unless you basically hacked into their network, uh, which I don't recommend doing, you can go to jail for that. Uh, but I have seen people try to do that to get the attention of an employer, be like, I hacked your network here. And it's like, no, that's not a good thing to do. But yeah. Anyway, long-winded long answer to your question, but the answer is plan your career and then work it, work your plan. Because if you don't have a plan and you're aiming at nothing, you're never going to get to where you want to be in life. I love that. Get your, your, I say have a North Star and uh, have a guidance system to help you there because it will, definitely won't be a straight path, but you'll get there eventually. Yeah, my path is definitely not straight. I started out before I joined the military. I was running computer networks and doing website design. And I had a small little company with about 20 or 30 people down in Miami, and, and I enjoyed it. And after 9-11, I sold my company, and I joined the military, and I became a nuclear reactor operator. Then I became a naval flight officer. Then I realized I didn't like that. Then I became a surface warfare officer. And then I got back into IT from there. And for the last 15, 20 years, I've been doing nothing but IT and cybersecurity. So I've got 20 years of experience in IT and cybersecurity. But if you want to count on paper, I've actually got like 30 years because the first network I started working on was about 30 years ago. Um, and I had a paid job at that time, but then I took a couple years off in between. So really, I've got about 20, 25 years of experience. But again, not all of us go this straight line. It's this wiggle waggle as we go. I like it. Wiggle waggle. Okay. 
Jason, thank mm -hmm. you so much. Really appreciate it. And for folks, if you know someone breaking into cybersecurity that has a cool store share or looking for some inspiration, find us on YouTube, Breaking Into Cybersecurity. We're also on Twitch, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thank you all very much. Thank you all for joining us on Breaking Into Cybersecurity Leadership. If you had a tip shared by our guest today that resonates with you, I challenge you to share it on social and link back to this show episode so that more people can enjoy it. If you have guest recommendations, DM us on Exit Break Into Cyber or find the show's email address. I know you can put those OSINT skills to good use. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.